All right, welcome back in to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing, joined as normally by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, I hope I'm going to have you for the entire, well, for more than about 30 seconds of this podcast this time around. I'm already here longer than last time, so we'll call that a win. Outstanding. So tonight we've got a very special edition of the podcast. We are joined tonight by all three of the beat writers for the Kansas City Royals in 2021. We've got Alec Lewis of The Athletic, Annie Rogers from MLB.com, and Lynn Worthy from the Kansas City Star. I want to thank all of you guys for joining us tonight. I am super excited to be speaking with you guys. Alec and Annie, again, we've had you guys on the Royals Farm Report podcast in the past, but Lynn, this is the first time we've had you on, so thank you for coming on. And since it's your first time on, Lynn, we're going to start with you right off the bat here. Um I think everyone would look at the Royals and say between Nicky Lopez and Salvador Perez, you have two pretty clear candidates for player of the year. If you're grading Lynn, if you're looking at the Royals infielders and you're looking at middle infielders specifically, let's leave first and third base alone for a second. It would be pretty hard to ask for anything to have been better between Salvi Witt and Nicky Lopez. Um, I'm assuming we're on the same page in terms of, they they blew expectations out of the water this year. Yeah, it's and if you're putting Salvi in that too, because normally I think middle infield, I'm thinking of just the shortstop and second baseman. But if you put Salvi in there, then that's you know, I mean, we talk about a guy who's set records, MVP candidate, and all that. So yeah, that's um, it's hard to find a lot of fault with that. Um, and like I said, I was probably just thinking of the, the two up the middle. But if you got the, all three, then um, Shoot, I don't know what, what what scale are we using to grade here because I'm thinking that's I don't know if I'm giving out a grade that's higher than that group. <laughs> I I really don't know how many teams in baseball you could argue had a middle of the defense. So if you go all the way up the middle from Salvi to Nicky to Witt to Michael A. Taylor, I don't really know how you could argue that anybody had a better defensive step this year. And Annie, that's even without any serious contributions from Adalberto Mondesi who. If you would have said at the beginning of the year, Adalberto Mondesi is going to play in 30 games, I don't know how anyone could have expected for the middle of this infield to have produced like it did. I look at 2022 and I think, okay, they've got outstanding options coming up for the middle of their infield. But how do you treat a guy like Nicky Lopez, who by all accounts outperformed his offensive expectations, is probably going to win a gold glove? Like, how do you even begin to weigh your options for this infield next year? Yeah, it's a great problem to have. I think um, you, you've got those guys, you've got Witt and Nikki, you've got Mondesi, you've got Bobby Witt Jr., of course, um, to, to factor into the equation. So they're not going to complain about that um, problem, it, but it is an interesting one. And probably the, their biggest question uh going into this offseason is just what what does that look like for 2022 and, and how do they configure that uh, obviously you can't um you can't go into the season with with just one option because as we saw this year Mondi was hurt for, mo- for the majority of the year and they had to have fill-ins um so you go in with a lot of depth you're probably going to be in a good spot Alec I think when we when we think of designated hitter typically like if I said that your designated hitter is someone who is a good hitter but can't play defense. I don't think anybody would have a guy like Adalberto Mondesi in mind. And it's not that Adalberto Mondesi isn't good at defense. 
It's just that he can't both play defense and be expected to be in the lineup more than like three times a week. So I look at this lineup next year, and I've said a couple of times now that I think you should look at having Alberto Mondesi be your DH for 100, 120 games next year and let him be your designated hitter. I don't know that the Royals are going to look at it that way, but do you think you could get reasonable value out of a guy like Mondesi if you DH him every day? Do you think that helps him stay on the field in 2022? Because we definitely didn't see that in 2021. Yeah, it's an interesting question and thought. I hadn't really thought much about him at, at DH. I think the one concern really for me would be the on-base ability that he hasn't really shown from a consistent standpoint over the years. I mean, he he obviously hasn't played in a consistent string to where you, you really get a feel for it, but his on-base percentage this year, even with the, I don't know, interesting playing time situation that he had, uh, just wasn't great. So I don't know if, if you're going to get as much value. Obviously, the stolen base ability is as valuable as it gets. Um, but for him, I, I don't know. I think to, to think about him bouncing around, his, his shortstop defensive ability is, is unbelievable. I think he has what it takes to play right field, which I believe is a position his dad played. So I think there's a lot of options there um, to, to do some different things. And I think moving him around is probably a way that they, they could keep him on the field, which is obviously going to be the goal. Like I said, I think we all would look at this middle infield, and I think it's, it's really exciting. That's a really good place to have depth. It's a good place to be strong up the middle. Annie, I don't think anybody would look at the production they got from their corner infielders this year, and I, I really don't know how you could give it anything but an F. I mean, Carlos Santana got off to a really good start and then was awful. I mean, I, I didn't realize how bad he was. Alec, maybe it was you that tweeted he had like a 500 OPS after June or something like that. I mean, and that is – I did not realize how bad it was. I knew he was bad, but holy cow, it was right at 500. Um, they didn't really get anything out of third base. Even when they moved Mondesi over there, he started he stopped hitting a little bit. So, Annie, are you going to give the corner infielders anything but an F? And if it's anything but an F – is there are any of these guys potentially looking at getting like significant playing time on the corner infield again next year? Yeah, I mean there was just not a ton of production um, there offensively from from those guys. You're right, Carlos Santana had a. I actually looked it up today for a story I'm writing. Um, he had a 500 OPS in the second half, um, just and the on base percentage, which he's known for, was just way down too. So um, I don't know if, you know, he had that hip flexor strain in August and that probably hampered him a little bit more than he and the team let on. So maybe perhaps when he's healthy, he had a good first half. Um, so it's just maybe, maybe that, that gets him back on the field and back to the normal um, production that he's shown. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like next year. I, you've got to figure in Dozier, um, um, he can play third base, first base, or right field. He can also be a pretty good DH just from what he sh showed in September. I think that shows some flashes of potential for him. Um, and then Santana, of course, can you know maybe be a first baseman DH kind of thing where they where they split playing time. That's kind of where I see that at least to start the season, and then then you kind of see um, how things progress from there. But yeah, they, they've got to get some better production from those guys, especially offensively. I mean. Um, that's what they're known for, and, and they didn't show that this year. Lynn, is there any way you can sell me or any any hope you can give me 
for the possibility that we could see a Nick Prado, a Bobby Witt Jr., maybe even a Vinny Pasquantino if they think he's the most ready to play right away. Is there any chance that on opening day next year when the Royals are in Cleveland taking on the Guardians that one of those young guys steps in and fills in a corner in corner infield spot from Jump Street? Or do you think we're going to have to wait and potentially ride out another wave of Carlos Santana, Hunter Dozier, and Ryan O'Hearn for a few weeks? I mean, I think there's a chance probably more so at third base because um, they've they've made it a, a, a concerted effort, you know, for Bobby to get some time out there. Um, and with the moving parts, with Mondesi probably being at best, um, you know, part-time or them doing the old world management type thing with him, um, third base could be a real option. Or, um, you know, like Andy mentioned, Dozier is probably going to factor in. It could be third base, could be first base, depending on what's going on with Santana. Um, I think the thing with Santana is, you know, I, I look at that first half and how um, good he was, particularly with the on-base percentage, but um, second half not being healthy. And the, the thing that raises the red flag with me, or I guess the concern, I shouldn't say red flag, is just um, because he's getting up there in age, you wonder if that's going to be the norm, if that the health thing is going to be just, that's just the, the sign that he's, as he's getting older, he's going to be breaking down. Is that going to be more of a regular thing? I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that's the question that you have there, or at least that I have there, is whether or not, you know, the health thing is going to be an ongoing issue that they have to deal with. Um, I mean, obviously just one more year left on the deal, but where it's going to be something going on throughout next season. But um, I think third base with Bobby could be, could be a legitimate um, option. I just don't know if they'll do it at the beginning of the season, if they'll still do it, um, you know, give him some time in AAA. Um, I don't know. It probably depends on what offseason moves happen as well and what that that mix looks like. Yeah, I think the new CBA is probably going to be the ultimate decider there because I think there's a chance the CBA says something like, if you play three full months, you're going to get your year of service time. And if it's, you know, if it's half the season – Alec, I cannot imagine they're going to keep Bobby Witt Jr. in Omaha for half the season next year. I mean, that would be criminal at best, especially with the way this organization is paraded around, that they love to not game service time, which I – whatever. So I, I hope, I pray that we see Bobby Witt Jr. on opening day. But there's, there's – Alec, you got you to gotta help me. There's one person – that I won't put up with it. If this person's on the opening day roster, I won't watch until he's off of it. Help me at first base. I won't name his name. Help me at first base to sell me on the fact that I won't have to watch Carlos Santana and this other person play first base. Ian O'Hearn. Every single day for months at the beginning of next season. I didn't know you were going to have me on it. Uh, have me be a salesman. Uh, if I knew that it would be different. No, I, I, I don't think Ryan O'Hearn's going to factor much into first base because truth be told, he didn't this year. I mean, it was a lot of Carlos Santana. It was Hunter Dozier at times. And um, I think Ryan played a lot of right field. The question in terms of like the, the prospects and will they be on the opening day roster or not? I, I just, it's, it's fun to talk about. And there's, uh, it's, it's obviously for fans, something that everybody I think wants, but there's a lot of information that, that is, behind the scenes that we don't often see that plays a role into a lot of these decisions, the Ryan O'Hearn situation included. And 
I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, I guess, but without all of that information um, and the knowledge of what goes on, it's just hard to, to really say. I mean, Ryan O'Hearn has had a lot of at-bats over these last three years. And beyond that, the September, uh, I believe, in 2018, excuse me, and then some of the minor league numbers this year, it's, uh, he's been pretty inconsistent from a production standpoint. So I could understand the questions of, of what, they should do or what what they can do with him in the future i understand it um but i think this this organization knows their their personnel and their decision making processes better than we do better than anybody so i think they'll do what they feel is best they obviously uh that's their job you mentioned o'hearn playing right field and, and i think some of that came out of necessity this year um i look at their outfield for next year and you have a chance of being a really stable group I don't see any upside to their outfield, but they have a chance to have that be the most stable, even really amongst the middle infield. Because if you look at the middle infield, Whit Merrifield had one of his less good offensive seasons of his career. I say less good. It wasn't bad by any means. It was just not quite as all-star level as he's been. I do think there's a chance Nicky Lopez regresses a bit. The outfield between Benintendi, Michael A. Taylor – Kyle Isbell and whoever else they bring in to, to fill in out there, whether it's Hunter Dozier, I think you know about what you're going to get from most of those guys. Um, but, Annie, if there's a chance for upside, if there's a chance for maybe some spark in the outfield that most fans aren't aware of, wh- where do you think that comes from? Because I look at Ben Intendi, I don't really know like what, what he was in 2021 is a, what I think exactly what he is. I don't know really how far away from being a very mediocrely above average player that he can get. You know exactly what you're going to get from Michael A. Taylor probably. If there's anything that could spark a star of some sort, where does it come from? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the I, I will say that I think Ben Attendee needs probably like a full, like a healthy year. Um, because the what he showed offensively when he was healthy and he was on the field because he had that like rib thing and I think that hampered him a lot um this year and and when what he showed offensively when he was really when he was healthy was a really good hitter um kind of a gap to gap guy who which the Royals love and that's kind of what they wanted him to be it, it took him a little while to get to that um because he was working through those swing mechanics um, so I do think if he can have a full, and, and it's hard to say like, Hey, like, let's just have a full 162 game healthy year. Like that's not going to happen maybe, but, um, I think he could be like that, that bright spot for them out there. If, if he's in left field on opening day. Um, and then of course you've got Michael A. Taylor defensively. Um, he's, you know, a defensive first player. And then that right field spot is where they kind of have, they can work with, do they put Whitmer field out there? Do they put Montessi out there? Do they have Kyle Isbell man, man right field? I think that's a that's a big question. Or or can they bring someone in um, that that can be another spark to the offense and play the outfield? But I think those those are the questions that they're going through this offseason. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, it's it's kind of, there's a lot of there's a lot of options for them out there in, in that in that outfield. Alec, I want to get your opinion on Michael A. Taylor. A would you pencil him in as your everyday starting center fielder for the for next year, or B? Do you or, or secondly, do you, I guess then if not, then 
do they make a move or potentially do they put Isbell out there long term? So, A, do you think he's the everyday center fielder next year? B, what kind of upside do you think is left in the bat? Because he showed a little bit of an offensive renaissance at times this year with the Royals. Like it wasn't great, but he did hit for some power. He showed a little bit better plate discipline, plate discipline kind of like he still was very mediocre with the bat, but it was actually, I thought a better offensive season than we've seen from him in the past. Do you think there's another level there? And do you think he's the everyday starting center fielder already penciled in? I think penciled in. I wouldn't put it in pen, but I, I'd pencil him in. I think with the extension that they made, I think the the one. I'll get to the bat in a second. I think the one thing to think about too with this potential outfield is that you may potentially have three shortstops in the infield in terms of Bobby Witt, Adalberto Modesty, Nicky Lopez that could shift around. And I think with that versatility, it even it it enhances the outfield defense in a way that I think it's hard to really know now. But they were already good defensively this year so I think it could it could even enhance it and I think Michael A. Taylor in terms of the bat and him taking another step I mean I think the the thing with Michael is he has the type of power to where it's probably he's not the contact first guy the all the way he has the power so he probably wants to swing for the fence at some point so that balance is obviously really hard to strike whether you're a run producer or a run scorer and I think he's kind of Lodge in the middle, which I think makes it tough. But I, I, I wonder for sure if there's another level in there. I mean, he's, he's six four. I think he's two fifteen. He's just so athletic, and, and and I think he's so cerebral to the fact that I, I do wonder if there's another level. And with his athletic build, I don't see, I don't see why there wouldn't be. It would just be a concerted effort to, I don't know, either change things, pregame work, certain things that maybe could could help him take a jump. But I, I. I, I believe in it because I think he his makeup and kind of um, just the athletic build lend itself to continued improvement if he's playing every day. Lynn, it's not often we talk about a 31-year-old maybe having another another gear in the tank, but I'll ask you the, the, a similar question about Michael A. Taylor potentially having more in the tank offensively, and could that be a gamble on the Royals' part uh, on the chance that he has a little bit left in the tank offensively? And then secondly, Lynn, if the Royals make a big move to bring in a bat, do you think it's more likely that player plays center field or right field? Like, do they, would they go get a true center fielder via trade or free agency? Or are they probably going to look for a bat first guy that they can stick in right field and hope that Taylor helps out defensively? Well, as far as Taylor, I, I think the Royals definitely think that there's still some upside there. Um, and I think I'm I'm still waiting to, to, to see, but I think they, they've convinced themselves, I mean, whether it's Mike Matheny, whether it's Dayton Moore, um, the things we've heard from them going back to last year and then again through the um, signing of the extension, um, they, they seem to, at least they're selling it, that there's, you know, there's still some upside there, particularly with the, with the bat. Um, as far as a move... For a bat, um, and I haven't taken that close a look at what's available. I think if they if they felt like they were going to be able to make a move to get a, a full-time center fielder, then I don't know that they would have gone right, gone ahead and done the two-year extension. Um, I think that they, you know, and I think they tend to usually have some of those meetings in July. I think if they looked at, looked at what was potentially available and didn't feel like that was an option, or if they felt like that was an option, then they, maybe they would have held off on, you know, signing that extension a week before the season ended. 
Um, but if there's a bat, I think they might just, especially with the versatility, if there's a bat, depending on where that bat best fits, what bats they can go after and which ones they can get, then they might just move pieces around to fit that bat where, where it needs to go because that's why you have the versatility and wit and, and Dozier. And if there's, you know, um, a move to be made uh, to uh, as far as, you know, sending somebody else out to make room for that, then maybe that's what happens. But um, I don't know if they necessarily, I think, with a roster like theirs, I don't know if you could say, okay, well, this guy, we're going to make a, a move and just say it has to be a right fielder. I think it's going to be, okay, who can you get? Where can that person fit? Who can we move around to make that fit? So I don't think it's a, okay, we're going to go find a bat and we got to find somebody who can play right field. I don't think they, I think they cut themselves off too much from that. I think as a small market team, when you look at teams like the um, the Rays and things like that, it's like, I, I don't think you just lock yourself into, okay, we got to find somebody for this position. I'm like, okay, who's the best person you can get? And how can we make this work? And I think that's what the versatility does for you. I actually think that's a really good point. That's that's something that, as much as I've considered, uh, that's probably the best way of wording it is. Find the best fit and then make it work on the field. And 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 you're you're right about the raises, plugging and playing and having guys be super versatile all around the field. I when I started this, I did want to get your guys' thoughts on like a season grade. So if you had to grade out the team. Um, what would it look like? I'm going to start. I'm going to give the 2021 Royals, and I'm going to try to focus on being MLB-centric. So it would be easy, especially running a minor league-focused blog, to look at what the Royals minor league hitters did and let that affect me. I'm going to try my best not to, and I'm going to give this team a C+. I, I look at this team, and I think, okay, they hit exactly – the win mark I thought they were going to hit preseason. I said somewhere between 73, 76, they won exactly as many games as I kind of thought they were going to do no better, no worse. But I look at how they won them. And I just don't know, like if they would have won them on the backs of Nikki Lopez and Kyle Isbell and the young arms all year, I'd probably be more excited about it. But the guys that won them these games, a lot of the times are guys you just, kind of expected to be good this year, but not maybe a part of the future. Um, I I include Hunter Dozier in that, even though they gave him the extension, but he still wasn't very good. So I'm going to go with a C plus. They technically met my expectations in terms of wins, but I'm not really thrilled with how they reached those wins. Uh, Annie, we'll start with you. If you had to give the 2021 Kansas City Royals a grade for the year, what would you give them? Well, I'd give them a C plus, but in like very different terms than you did because they met expectations. So like they're very average um, as far as like where they were set to go at the beginning of the season. But like when you get a C plus, you're like, all right, I can, you know, you're a little bit better than average and you can kind of like improve yourself. And I think that's where they are um, is they have a lot of hope for the future. A lot of that is because, of the youth and we, that's so, you know, that still has to prove itself. But I think you're, you're saying that they won, they didn't, um, they didn't win the way that you would like them to win. But I say that they get a C plus because there's a lot of hope for the future. There's a lot of building blocks that they can, they can start to put together and it's going to take, it's going to be a big off season for them. But um, I, I do think that, you know, they're they're right now, they're exactly where they need to be in this, in this rebuild process, if you will. 
Lynn, what about you? If you had to give them a season grade? Um, I guess I would probably lean towards um, somewhere in the neighborhood of a C, C minus, just because, I mean, um, I do think they were pretty close to probably what um, you could have expected for them. But at the same time, like if we're grading them, I guess if I'm grading them like against the rest of baseball, um, being, you know, a little bit under 500 and, you know, um, being, you know, fourth place in the division, I'm like, you know, well, I mean, it's like, I got to go probably C, C minus just because like if you're um, 74 wins, I can't really give you a too high a grade. And if you're, you know, fourth place in the division, I can't give you a too high a grade. I still feel like they, they got for the most part, um, the most out of what they had. But again, if we're grading against the rest of major league baseball, then I can't say 74 wins fourth place is, uh, you know, um, a, a big, uh, you know, or is much better than, you know, average or, you know, maybe a little bit t- a tick below average. Cause then if they were, you know, above 500 and what's, you know, you got to sort of um, keep it in context, I guess. Um, but at the same time, like I said, I feel like they got a lot out of what they had as far as just the roster, the youth, the inexperience. So it's probably CC minus, but that's not to say that um, they really, like, I think if they overachieved, um, I still don't know if they would have got to a, an A if they overachieved. So. Alec, here's a chance for you to make some of our listeners happy that think you are just the eternal optimist and the the voice of the blue-colored glasses. Um, here's a chance for you to absolutely just rail on the Royals if you want to. What would you give them for a season grade? B minus. B minus. Um, yeah, 100%. First, all the young arms stayed healthy. Uh, which I think is absolutely essential moving forward. And I think one arm, Carlos Hernandez, who nobody had penciled in to a potential rotation spot moving forward, did that. I also think Salvador Perez showed that he can not only uh, catch the way he does and, and help this young staff, but produce at a level that probably none of us or even he expected at his age. So I think that's essential. I think Nicky Lopez at shortstop, proving that he could play the best if it's shortstop in the big leagues uh, while also hitting the way he did uh, is really important for from a depth perspective moving forward. I don't think anybody thought this year they were going to make the playoffs. Obviously, they talked about wanting to in the offseason. They talked about wanting to compete. Um, but I just think if you look at some of the, the young pieces and where they're headed and what they needed to happen, uh, well, yes, none of these young pitchers came out and looked like absolute aces. I think they all stayed healthy, and that's the most important thing if you want to develop them moving forward. Um, so I'll say B minus. Uh, so I, I don't know. B minus. If I got that in school, I'd be happy. <laughs> Jeremy, what about you? Throw a season grade in there for us. Did you break up? Did I break up? I don't know. Jeremy, can you hear me? No, it was you broke up for oh, me as well. Man. Go ahead and throw a season grade in there for me, Jeremy. Oh gosh, uh, I I wanted to go with a C. I think just because. They, like you said, they got to the to the win total pretty much everyone expected. Um, it was definitely an improvement over what they've been for the past few years, and and I think uh, as Ann said, there's room definitely for hope next year. Uh, as Alex said, the young arms are are still healthy, um, and I think you know everybody wanted Bray Singer and Chris Bubich to be better this year than they were, 
um, wanted Daniel Lynch to be better than he was, but it's a good point that Carlos Hernandez came on. Um, and, and we have to remember, especially I think when it comes to Brady Singer and Chris Bubich, they didn't have a full season in 2020. So this is really their first full season. And so I, th- I think there's definitely still room for improvement for those guys. Um, and, it's, and definitely still room for improvement for Lynch and, and Kowar and others who haven't pitched a full year this year, uh, next year. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, a lot of it depends on, uh, that's their rating, their ranking right now. Their grade right now is the C, but a lot of what happens next year, I think depends on, you know, where, what do they do this off season? Where do they go? If they're still going to hang on to a lot of, um, aging veterans like Carlos Santana, then, then. I don't think you get as much grace next year if you get 74 or 75 wins. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where I stand. Speaking of the off season and along the lines of grades here, uh, Lynn, we'll start with you as the off season, as it relates to the off season. If we were having a conversation in February and pitchers and catchers are reporting and we get you back on the pod and we're talking about the Royals had an, a off season. They got an A for their off season. They did a great job. Here's some things they did, et cetera, et cetera. Give me one thing that they have to do in order for us to be talking about them getting an A for the off season in February. One thing you think they absolutely have to do this off season. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I feel like they're probably coming back with a lot of the same pieces. Um, and I'm not sure that there's a big move um, that they're going to make or that it has to be made. Um, I think what I would, I would like probably if I, if they were able to get, add some, some veteran pitching just because as much as we like to see the potential and what they've got with the, the young starters and what they could be um, we're still talking. I mean, like, like you just said, you know, um, like Bubich and, Singer just had their first full season and the other guys still haven't had a full season in the major leagues. And you're coming, you're still coming off of, you know, this was the first year off of the pandemic year where everything's out of whack. So, and pitching in general, just as a year to year proposition. So to think that you're going to roll out all these young guys, I know people are already talking about, Oh, we'll we'll move this one to the bullpen and that one to the bullpen. Like, no, you're going to need them all as starters because something's going to happen. One of them is not going to pitch as well as they should. One of them is going to get hurt. I mean, it's just like the numbers game usually is like, it's not going to be what you think it is right now. Um, but if you've got a veteran, um, I'm just not sure that, I mean, because pitching is just, they just co- so costly right now. I don't know that you can go out and just count on being able to get one. Uh, I mean, and obviously, you know, last year, the veteran I got was Mike Meyer. So I don't know what what it looks like this year would you be able to get or if there's a move to be made maybe trade-wise you can get a picture where you're not going out and just have to bid for them um but i think if they were able to add uh, particularly somebody starting pitching wise that um sort of just added to that that the young arms that you add to whether that's minor and keller and, and the rest of that group to give you some just stabilize that group and maybe even be the front of that rotation then I feel like that would be a big offseason for them. I'm just not sure how many moves there are to be made. Um, and I think a lot of the moves are going to be coming from just internally. But I think that would be a big one in my mind, at least. Alec, what about you? In order to get an A for the offseason, the Royals must do what? 
Yeah, I, I think I side with Lynn. I think it would be great to have like a veteran starter with uh, some World Series playoff experience. I think that would that would really bode well. But I think to to make that happen, it would probably require a trade. Uh, I don't know if like a guy like Luis Castillo or, or Kyle Hendricks, those types of guys would be available or what that would take. Um, but I think that would that would be be cool. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if this is the the off season where you're really trying to 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 make an A grade. I think you kind of this could be the off season where you kind of just roll through. Next year, you're going to have a lot of these young hitters up at the big league level, and you know that they might take their lumps. And then the the, the A grade off season might might need to come next off season. I think leading into 2023. So. Um, if they're quiet, I wouldn't be that surprised, but then again, you never know what, what pops up. Um, and, and they're probably way more creative than I am. So, uh, you never know. Really quick before we get to Annie, I, honest question, Alec, you say, you know, this may not be the off season where you do something like that. Do you think if, cause I, I do think there's about a 50% chance that none of those big time prospects are on the opening day lineup. The Royals attendance this year was below expectations. Do you do you think that they honestly can go into the next season with mostly the same roster, and the fans be okay with it? Not that the fans' opinion is everything, but if they if they come out with mostly the same roster, they're going to lose at least early on some of this fan base to anything else, especially until they call it Bobby Witt Jr. Now, I do think that is kind of your ace in the hole in terms of stirring excitement. But if you don't tell people that opening day he's going to be on the roster. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to go out to the K and spend my money watching this team for. I mean, if you run out the same team, it's going to be, I mean, I can look, I can look back and tell you what it's going to be in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I understand that, but I think early in a season, everyone's going to be excited that baseball's back and they're going to go to the K and want to see games. And then by the time that the interest might drain, maybe that's the time at which Guys like Bobby Wood Jr. Are, are at the top of the lineup. MJ Melinda, Nick Prado, they're in there, and, and people are going to want to come to the K and see them. So I think it's important that the fans are engaged, obviously, but winning on a big sample size is, one of, is what's going to keep them engaged. And I think they, uh, it's their, the Royals front office, obviously, it's their job to make sure that that happens. And, and if that requires fans' interest waning a little bit for, X amount of games at the beginning of the season, I think they will go to sleep at night feeling okay about that because the long term is what's most important here. And that's that's what I, I think even next year, like I said, some of these young hitters are gonna come up and some might struggle the way like a Jared Kellenick did. And that's just part of it. And I think they know that. Um and, and as much as I think all fans have seen the losing these past five years, what it whatever it's been, and they want to see wins, I mean it it, it there's no magic for it so um i think it'll take time and that may not be the most fun answer but that's the answer annie what about you in order to get an a for the offseason the royals must do what well these guys took my answer that was i i think they need an ace they need a and that's not just like performance wise um but they need a leader a guy who's comes in and says you know I, I am the leader of the staff. Uh, you know, I think I have a Cardinal background. I'm thinking of like Adam Wainwright. Those guys don't come around often, but there are components um, that you can have on a staff. And I think until one of those young pitchers shows that they can be an ace, I think you need a, to need to bring in a proven starter, um, both on the field, off the field, that can that can lead those guys and 
um, you know, stay healthy on the field and, um, and kind of bring them in, you know, show them what, what it's all about, because those are some, those are some young guys and they, they're still getting used to it. Um, even Brad Keller is still kind of, um, you know, he's lacking experience. And, and so he, he still needs maybe a, a leader. You've got Mike Miner, um, but I just think there, there needs to be someone who comes in and commands that sort of presence. Um, so I'm signing with, uh, with the two previous answers. I know that's boring, but um, that's what I believe. Um, but I also agree with Alec. I don't know if this is the off season that, you know, they, they'll make a big splash um, just because, I think you want to see what some of the some of the young guys do, um, both uh, position player wise and pitching wise. I agree with the starting pitching thing, and and I really believe that I was looking at their their innings pitch leaders this year, and 158 innings out of your, I mean that was Mike Miner. He led the team in innings with 158. Is less than ideal. I don't care if 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 Mike Miner pitched to a five ERA in 190 innings this year. I would have given him an A plus for his efforts. Like they need somebody, like you said, is just going to go eat innings, be out there throwing six innings every fifth day to give everybody else a break. 158 innings can't be your innings pitch leader. And so typically those guys who throw more innings are also pitching well, but I don't even care if he's a good pitcher. Just go find someone to eat those innings. I guess I differ on the idea that maybe they don't need a big move this off season. And, and here's kind of why is, if you go get a a big bat, like if you can if you can find a way to get a Starling Marte here, or to acquire, like you said, Alka Luis Castillo, or maybe it's Nick Castellanos, your obviously team is going to be better for it. But I also think you have more things to distract in the event, like you said, if Bobby Witt Jr. comes up and struggles, and Nick Prado comes up and struggles, and you don't make any other moves, and all your young bats come up and inevitably aren't awesome. That's going to be the focus. That's going to be the headline. And it's just, it's sort of unavoidable, I think. And I would be looking, if I was JJ Piccolo, for anything I could do to distract from the inevitable struggles they're going to have. Like, what can I bring to the team? What can I put in that locker room that when they get on the field every day, the fans can look at and go, hey, yeah, these guys are struggling, but Salvi and Nikki and Witt and our big new bat in right field are playing really well. And so this team's still winning 75, 80 games. They're still playing well. And the pressure isn't because right now, the way this lineup is constructed, like I think we all agree that the playoffs are probably unrealistic next year, but the Royals were talking about it to the media this year. If they're not going to change tune, I don't know why I don't expect them then next spring to go, Hey, we lied about last year. We never thought we'd make the playoffs and we definitely don't expect it this year when most of our lineup is going to be really young, like they're going to parade around the idea that they could. I just think that's a ton of pressure to be putting on some of these young guys, which is, which is fine. If you want to expect that of them, I just think you're, you're better off hedging your bet with a James Shields like move so that in the event that this team struggles, you can point anywhere else and and get some of the pressure off these young guys back. So I do think it's going to be fascinating to see what they do this offseason. You've got a new owner who surely wants to start getting some money back out of that billion-dollar check he wrote. You've got a new GM who's probably going to want to try to put his flavor on this team. Um, I'm hoping it's a little more exciting than maybe some of us are expecting, um, but I guess we're just going to have to wait and see really quick, and then I'll get you guys out of here. Um, Alec, if you just had to guess right now, 
the team's record and AL Central standing in 2022, what would you guess? <laughs> uh, that's tough. Um, I mean, I, I think marginal improvement. I maybe I, I think I said the other day, 83 and 79, maybe like somewhere around there. I think that would be continued improvement. And then you got all the pieces ready to, to go jump back into the fire in 2023. That would be my ridiculous prediction in terms of AL Central. Um, I think the White Sox are still going to be the White Sox. And then I think Cleveland's rotation gives them a nice shot. Uh, but behind that, I think the Royals would slot in behind. Uh, the Tigers might go get Carlos Correa or something. So maybe then I'll look dumb, but I'll look dumb anyway. So it's okay. Annie, what about you? If you had to give a ridiculous prediction of the Royals' 2022 record and AL Central standing, where are you going with it? This is going. This is so ridiculous because there's so much that could happen in between now and then. Just, just gonna put that out there. But uh, yeah, I'll go with um, 500 probably, maybe like, or maybe like 80 and 81 or 81 and 81. Who knows? Maybe we won't even play 162 next year. So this is ridiculous. But um, I'll go. I'll go right around 500. And yeah, the place in the central. I, um, yeah, third or fourth probably. I think the Tigers are going to, the Tigers are like more fun to watch, I think, than anybody really realizes. Um, I think they're going to continue to do that. So maybe they'll be two or three next year. Lynn, your turn for a prediction that I am absolutely going to hold you to this time next year. Yeah. Well, you know, um, making this prediction before they, they they sign this mysterious bat that um, that you're you're hoping that they find somewhere, which I don't think is happening. But um, uh, as we sit here now, I guess I'll go eighty two wins, um, third place in the central, um, and then you know we can we can up that once they get uh, whoever plug in the name Sterling Marte or. Uh, who was the other one that you had them lined up for? Nick Castellanos. Castellanos, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, once you once you pencil him in, I'm not sure who uh, who all they're moving around, but you know, once they pencil him in, that's probably another couple, a few wins there. So you know, they'll probably be close to 90 once that one happens. But for right now, <laughs> we got to come at like 82. Castellanos definitely definitely a Royals Royals type of player too. So. Absolutely, that's yeah. a deep drive to left. <laughs> I will say the. The move they made for Jorge Soler will never will never stop making me wonder. Like they have this, they have the clear cut type of player they're looking for, and then in like the last season that they have been good is they go out and get a player that fits nothing like what they have ever acquired since or before. So that was kind of funny to me. Um, talking about Castellanos, so I'm going to stick to my guns that anything is possible. They're going to win exactly 84 games next year. And when they do that, we can all circle back to this. And I will tell you that I told you so. Um, no, in all seriousness, guys, thank you very much for joining me. I will let you guys get out of here. And then Jeremy and I will wrap this up on the other end. So um, everybody listening again, uh, big thanks to our Royals beat writers. You guys did a great job covering the team all year. I know that this team at times was probably hard to cover coming up with new content um on a daily and weekly basis but you guys did a great job of it keeping all of us royals fans engaged and and into a team that was hard to watch for bits of the summer so thank you all for your work thank you all very much for joining me tonight 
And um, we'll talk to you guys again soon. On the other side of this ad break, Jeremy and I will kind of break down a little bit of that conversation and then kind of talk about where the Royals are headed from here. So stick around. We'll be right back. Big thanks again to our three beat writers who honestly did a fantastic job all summer. I I didn't want to say it with them sitting there. That team was awful for a good bit of the summer. They had three different losing streaks of nine or more games or something. And it seemed like once a week I would click on an article that was legitimately very good. Like Alec wrote something about um, Brady McConnell and some internal struggles he's dealing with. And he wrote a story. Oh, man, I had it pulled up like 10 minutes ago, and now I can't remember specifically which one it was. But Annie wrote something in July that I just remember reading and thinking, man, this team sucks. And that was a really good read. Um, Lynn is one of my favorite guys to follow consistently. Um, You talk about just like an objective analysis of the team. Like um, I I know we people give Alec crap for being very positive. That's just the type of guy he is. Um, Lynn, I, I, I don't know if I've ever enjoyed just a more objective analysis from a Royals beat writer in a while. Like I even think like Flanny, God love him. I love Flanny. He's one of my more favorite follows in Royals Twitter history could get kind of sarcastic and pessimistic at times, but you talk about just an objective follow with great content. Lynn did a great job. And I really, I really believe that the Royals have one of the best trios of beat writers. Like you can go they're They're so different in their writing styles and their personalities that they just make for a great combination of, of, of beat writers. And so um, big thanks to them for coming on. Even if they are all very wrong about us signing Starling Marte. I, am, <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm going to make them come back on the podcast and I'm going to dunk. All, no, I'm just kidding. They're probably not signing Starling Marte, but if for some reason we make a big move like that, I'm going to bring them all back and dunk all over them on this podcast. In all seriousness, Jeremy, um, that was great conversation. And, I, and I'm curious, you said you were taking some notes. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because all three of them sounded like this could be a really slow off season. And I didn't want to, to like, I could have argued with them about that for 30 minutes about whether or not it should be a <laughs> off season, but dude, I, I can't watch this team roll out the same damn lineup in 2022 that they just rolled out there in 2021. I can't watch it. I'm serious. If Ryan O'Hearn is on this opening day lineup, I'm not watching. If Carlos Santana is starting every day for the first few weeks of the season, I don't want to watch. I mean, I will. Santana's a, the contract's different. I don't want to watch that. Go do something that's going to get me excited. And I'm a diehard. I, I, I'm, we're talking on a Wednesday night at 8 o'clock at night. There's a wild card game on. We're having a conversation about Royals baseball. Like, man, I will watch the Royals on a Sunday afternoon when I've got other stuff to be doing. Like, I, I love watching Royals baseball. I'm not watching if, Royal, if Ryan O'Hearn's on this lineup. So you tell me your thoughts and, and, and specifically here as you, as you kind of conclude your thoughts. If they make a slow offseason, sell me on why I should care about this team in April. So – yeah, let me just start there because that was where we finished with them. Uh, you asked them the question: Should the Royals make? Should the Royals make a big move? Basically, you asked them what do they have to do to have an A off season, and and they all pretty much answered, you know, sign a big starting pitcher. Which yeah, that makes sense. And then um, Ann and Alec, of course, said, uh, uh, you know, but I don't think they should do anything necessarily. 
And I agree with you that the Royals cannot put out this same lineup next year at the beginning of the year and say, no, everything's fine. Didn't you see that we had a winning record in the second half? Like, it's going to be great. They can't do it. So to my mind, they have two options. They can either make a big move, probably a big pitcher and a big bat. I don't think one or the other is enough. I think you have to do both. Now, it doesn't seem very likely that they'll do that. That's not very Royals. Then again, like you said, Sherman's a new owner. He may be willing to spend more. J.J. Piccolo may want to come out here and say, listen, this is my team now. We do things my way, and that means I'm going out and getting a hitter and a pitcher, and we're going to the playoffs this year. Whatever. But if they don't do that, like I said, you can't just have the same team next year. So what I want to see is I want to see a real emphasis on the youth. And this is a thing that constantly comes up with the Royals where they're constantly bringing in guys like Lucas Duda, like Carlos Santana, and though Carlos Santana is in a different league from Lucas Duda, as I've said before, sometimes the Royals shop in the dumpster. Sometimes they shop in the bargain bin uh, and you can figure out which is which there. Um, so they need to, they just, you've got these three guys, Bobby Wood Jr. is minor league player of the year. Nick Prado hit home runs like crazy. MJ Melendez hit more home runs than almost anybody across the minor leagues. Bring these guys up. I they Maybe they suck at the beginning of the year. At least give me some hope that we're moving towards a future. If you're static, I what, what hope do I have? If you're signing guys, well, there's hope. If you're bringing up guys, well, there's hope. If But that I, they got to do something. One of those two things is either really just lean into, yeah, we're bringing up these young hitters. We're going to try it, see what happens. Or, or go out and get some big names, or both. You know, you could do both. They won't, but you could. Technically speaking, it is physically possible. Um, so other stuff that they said that I took notes on, um, uh, I can't remember who it was noted that Benintendi and Santana uh, both seemed to play pretty well when they were healthy, and I would throw Dozier into that mix as well. Uh, so my question is, And I wish I could add, this is really a question for Royals management that I've actually, I guess, asked before is why are they playing if they're not healthy? What are we doing here? Uh, This is, this is the, everyone talks about, so either the Royal, they were healthy and they were just coming off of an injury and the Royals were playing them. And and it's just an excuse that they weren't, that they weren't healthy or the Royals brought them back too early from their injuries and said, go out and play anyway. Why would you do that? They've with Adalberto Mondesi, everyone complains about Adalberto Mondesi. Oh, he stays on the injured list for too long. He should be ready to go by now. But you know what? When he's there, he's he's playing at 100%. You don't have any doubts. Is he playing hurt? I don't want to have any doubts that anybody else is playing hurt. Leave him on the IR or the IL, whichever you know league we're in here now. Uh, and and let's let's move on from that. Um, I thought it was interesting also that uh, Alec wouldn't say that O'Hearn is gone. I, he's, he's an arbitration candidate. You want to pay him an arbitration salary for, for what he offers. I'm as big an O'Hearn fan as you're likely to find. And he offers nothing to this team. He should have to pay them arbitration (laughs) to get to play on the team. 
there was a there was a great article on Royals Review pointing out some of the guys the Royals have let go without really looking at them so that they can sign veterans. Why is Ryan O'Hearn? Why would Ryan O'Hearn get a fourth, a fifth season? He got half of 18, 19, 20, 21. Why would he get another one? That that's ridiculous. No, let's not do this anymore. We've we came, we saw, we let's decide to move on. Uh I also thought it was interesting when Alex said that Michael A. Taylor was only, he would only pencil him in for a starter. So this is a thing that I've been thinking since they signed him, uh, which is, hey, you're only paying him 4.5, 5 million annual average value. Like that can be a fourth outfielder. And if he's your fourth outfielder, then I feel like, oh man, the Royals are going to be really aggressive. I don't think Michael A. Taylor is, is, is playing fourth outfielder unless the Royals go and get someone big. They got to go get someone bigger than him to be the starter. They're not going to say, oh, Michael, you're going to be the fourth outfielder and Kyle Isbell's going to be the starter in center field. They're not going to do that unless Michael starts the year horribly and and his defense would also probably have to diminish for them to make that move. It's not going to start the year that way. So, um, you know, as much as, as they said, oh, Starling Varte's not coming, which... I believe uh, you got to do if Michael A. Taylor isn't the starter, then somebody's coming. Uh, that's, that's just the way that, that it works. Well, um, and I, I really quick in the outfield, it's so interesting to me, wherever the disconnect is between me and everybody else, because Annie was talking about the outfielders and didn't mention Kyle Isbell right away. And I'm, I'm looking around because she's not the only one, like I'm the minority here where it seems like everybody I talked about the outfield just kind of glosses over Isbell. And I'm like, now hang on. Like this dude should be an everyday opening day starting outfielder in some capacity. Like if you want to sit him against every tough lefty you play, all right, I'm not going to argue with you. Like every time you play a Chris Sale type, a John Lester type, go ahead and sit Kyle Isbell on the bench. I have no, I have no problem with that. Otherwise get this man in the lineup. Like what else does he have to do? Like, I think he's, He's got a weird track record because of the injuries, but he was really good down the stretch for Omaha. He was really, really good when the Royals called him back up. I don't understand. If he's not a part of the everyday lineup for the most part next year, I am going to be baffled. And I think what you have is a great situation where Benintendi starts in left. You can go get a big bat to put in either center or right. And then some combination of Michael A. Taylor and Kyle Isbell fill in the rest of that outfield until you trade Benintendi at the deadline. And then Kyle Isbell is your everyday left fielder. And I think it's a great opportunity to do a little bit of both there. I, I look at this team and I think, man, if they could go get a big bat, if they could get, if they could trade for a Castellanos type, like, I don't care what he plays defense. Like I could care less. I don't care. That's what you signed Michael A. Taylor for. Mike, you're going to have to go make up ground in center field. We're giving you free, we're giving you money and you don't hit. So you have to make up ground that other people aren't going to cover defensively. And he does a great job of that. Go get someone who can bop it, man. Go get someone to take pressure off these kids. Go get someone to slot in the three hole in front of Salvi, who's going to have another big impact in the lineup other than Salvi. They don't have a guy that's making a big impact in this lineup next year. They don't have it. And I'm not willing to count on rookies. I'm not even suggesting this team has to be 500. I think they should be. I think they need to be really close. But you're not going to do that at 
at with this current lineup. I, I think if they're not 500, that's a failure. I think you should be constantly looking for improvement. We've seen them. We've seen them take this step. They went from losing a hundred games to losing fewer than 90. If you can't get from there to 500, you're static or you're going backwards, which is even worse. Right. Uh, if they suddenly lost 90 next year, um, and I 100% agree with you. I I get it, like, why you want good defense, especially in the outfield when you've got a big outfield like you do at Kaufman and you've got young pitchers, and you want to give them some confidence. But I don't know what to tell you. The other teams, they don't pay their players to play defense. They pay them to hit. And, yeah, it's ridiculous when I watch a team kick a ball around and commit four errors. But you know what? They then hit five home runs, and they win that game. So... I feel like the home runs are outweighing the errors here. So, you know, and I love the athleticism. Uh, they made the point. Uh, I think they all, all of them made the point, you know, that there's a lot of flexibility that the Royals get in the athleticism that lets them go out and get, you, they could get a bat at literally any position except for catcher probably and move guys around to make that fit. And that's that's a benefit, especially when you're a small market team, because it means they can find the best deal for a bat out there. They don't they don't have to go, oh, well, we need a left fielder and Nick Castellanos is a right fielder, you know, or whatever. Uh, that's a bad example. But you get the, the point that I'm making. So uh, they've got that. I, I just they've got to they've got to improve next year they've got to and the Kyle Isbell thing is also interesting to me because before he got called back up i think it was really easy to forget about him because he was in the minor leagues and he didn't have a great debut and it's like well will we ever see him again no one was really talking about him cuz everybody was talking about Wit Prado Melendez and you know they were awesome totally understandable but nobody was talking about his bill so it's easy to forget him but he did get called back up and he did hit the daylights out of the ball while he was back up with the royals so it is kind of interesting to me that uh, uh a lot of people are not talking about him though i think you could also write that off to it was september and the royals were way out of it and no one's paying super close attention anymore um you know, even the people who pay close attention, like we do, uh, maybe not be paying as close attention as we were before. Because what's the point? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, one more note I've got here is that um, uh, Alec. I don't remember what he said, but he said something that reminded me that uh, that fans and Twitter seem to be ready to move on from Salvia catcher. They're like, Oh no, he's, he's going to be first base DH real soon. Or if he's not, you know, it's coaching malpractice manager malpractice because he's getting up there in age. And it's like, did you not just see this guy like at 31 or 32? Uh, no 31 uh, come out here and catch every day and break home run records all over the place and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like this is, when we were talking about Salvi having to move off the plate, he was not hitting and he was getting worse and worse defensively. If he's hitting like that and, and continuing to hit like that all through the year, because that was the other thing is that he tended to get uh, tended to get weaker as the year went on and he would be a poorer hitter as the year went on. He didn't really slow down that much this year, if at oh, all. I'd have up. to go look. 
He sped up. Yeah. Like 27 so, or 28 of his home runs after the all-star break. So there you go. Yeah. If that's not an issue for him anymore, and I don't know what to attribute that to because guys don't usually just suddenly become better at age 31, but this is Salvador Perez. I, I'm not, I'm not talking about him moving off catcher anytime soon. He's until he shows me and maybe he shows me, you know, next year that, Oh, he can't, he, he, he loses it again. Uh, then until I see it, I don't believe it. I think he's going to be catching, for and especially because a lot, even offensively, he has much better value if he's behind the plate. Yes, and and pitchers like throwing to him. It sounds like he uh, he throws runners out. He's not the greatest framer, but who knows how much longer we're going to even have framing as an issue. Uh, I'm just I, he's behind the plate. That's where I think he should be, and that's where I expect him to be. Uh, age does not appear to be catching up to him for whatever reason. Uh, and, and I hope that no one is counting on Michael A. Taylor to find a similar fountain of youth at age 31, but maybe Salvi will share it with him. I don't know. It would be nice since they're teammates. Well, here's my thing with Salvi is I was, I beat the drum for, he cannot move out from behind home plate. Now that they have Melendez, it's a little bit different because Part of moving Salvi out from behind home plate is putting Cam Gallagher back there. Cam Gallagher is a wonderful defender. Cam Gallagher won't hit a lick for more than 30, 40 games a year. Yeah, I love that, I love Cam as a backup catcher for his defensive abilities, but you, yeah, he can't hit. You can't next year, I'm all bored carrying three catchers. Let Cam or some combination of Cam and Sebastian Rivero be a true backup catcher. And let Salvi and Melendez both play every day. One of them DHs, one of them plays first base, one of them plays third base, left field, right field, catcher, DH, whatever that rotation looks like. Um, You have Salvi catch 70 games, Melendez catches 70 games, and then the other 20 games are caught by some combination of Gallagher and Rivero, or they both just catch 80 games, 100 games and 60 games, 90, 70. I think there's a lot of really good possibilities that you could have with a really, really good option as a backup catcher. Yeah. Most che- most teams don't have that. Most teams, if you're talking about guys splitting time at catcher, it's because neither of them are particularly good offensively, and you're just kind of matching up catchers with, their, with the pitchers they like best or vice versa there. So um, the Royals are going to be like probably the only team in Major League Baseball with two legitimate offensive threats behind the plate, and I think there's a lot, a, a lot you can do with that. Um, in terms of making your lineup more flexible. So we'll see how they end up playing with that, but I agree. Salvi doesn't need to move out from behind the plate unless it's to make room for Melendez specifically. They don't need to be making room for anybody else behind the plate on a regular basis. Yeah, the the 26-man roster gives you an excellent opportunity to carry that third catcher, and Melendez offers that flexibility where they've been having him play at third base, play in the outfield so he can play multiple other positions and you can, and Salvi does take days off. So now what you're looking at, as you said, is, is he takes a day off, you put him at DH and you can still have Melendez behind the plate. You're not, you're not killing your lineup by putting Cam Gallagher in there. And I think you still, like you said, you absolutely want that third catcher for the days that, uh, you know, Salvi's DH and you pinch run for Melendez 
or, you know, oh man, they both need a day off or, or Salvi needs a day off from behind the plate and, and Melinda's can play in the outfield, but he can't be behind the plate today either. So you, you, you need a guy who can take, cause it is a lot of pressure to play catcher. And I think, and, and it'll be Melinda's first year in the majors, you know, whether he comes up at the beginning of the year or later, it'll be his first experience in the majors. So you're, you're not going to want him sticking behind the plate. I mean, you could, if you had to, but you don't have to. So you don't want to stick him behind the plate just too much and overwhelm him back there. Uh, yeah, I absolutely think that that is, is, if the Royals don't go with three catchers at some point next year. Um, and I, as I've argued, I think they should just start the year that way. Just, just let's just put Melendez Prado and wit out there. They were so good in triple a, they don't have anything left to prove in triple a that just put them out there. Let's see what happens. Maybe they're not ready, but if they're not ready, then, then let's give them a taste. And if they really struggle and it looks like they're having confidence issues, then you can demote them. But but let's let's just try something because uh, I don't I don't see what benefit there is to bringing to putting them in AAA to start the year that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think when when, when I think about the way this team is structured next year, I think the only way I'm going to be okay with them not making a move is if all three of those guys are going to break camp at the big league club. And even then, that's a lot of pressure to be putting on them because the Royals can't – I hate to say it this way. The Royals can't just shut their mouth and be like, hey, we're going to field a baseball team this year. You guys should come out and watch. Like they have to pump them up. They have to be like, we're going to go make the playoffs. Nobody in Kansas City – nobody expected you to make the playoffs this year. Nobody. You didn't have to say that at the beginning of the year. <laughs> just shut up. Just shut up. Shut up. Don't Don't speak. Sometimes it's better to let everybody think you're a fool, right? Like just you don't have to convince anyone you're going to make the playoffs. Nobody expected you to do that. But now coming into next year, that's going to be part of the expectation, and you're going to be banking on a lot of young guys. I just There was an unnecessary amount of pressure put on those young guys this spring while they were in AA as non-prospects, Melendez and Prado kind of inching that way before they – right? So um, anyway – uh, go ahead. And that's why I, I advocate not just for having all three of those guys start the year, but also uh, bringing in at least one, maybe two other players, veterans, as they talked about, uh, you know, when they were talking about their veteran starting pitcher, our beat writers, you know, someone who has some real talent, someone who, who can be a leader as well as eating innings. I love Mike Miner. I'm sure he's a perfectly great guy you talked about if he'd done 109 inning 190 innings at five era you'd have given him an a that's great and it's great for eating innings they absolutely needed innings eaten this year they will again next year but a guy like that can't lead you got to have somebody who's performing as well as eating those innings somebody who has experience and is performing you can't lead if you're not performing and and so i if the Royals want to take, I, I think you made this point, and I, I just want to reiterate it, I guess, is that if the Royals want to take some pressure off of the young guys already on the team and the young guys we hope they bring to the team in the very near future, they're going to need some veterans to, to lead and to take some of those expectations. Because if you bring in, and I'm not saying that the Royals will or that it seems even reasonable, but if they brought in like a Max Scherzer, 
well, I'm not looking at Nick Prado when the Royals are losing next year. I'm looking at Max Scherzer. Like, why are you doing your job? And that happens, uh, you know, you'll see that happen even when it doesn't make any sense. I'm reminded of the, uh, I believe it was the 2019 Chiefs, um, lost a few games in the middle of the year, and everyone was blaming the offense. And it was like, well, no, the defense gave up a whole bunch of points. And the offense just didn't keep up that day. And like, if the, if the team wins because of the offense, great. But if the team loses, it's usually because of the defense, but the offense still gets blamed because that was supposed to be the part that wins the games. So even if Max Scherzer is great, if the team isn't winning, he'll still shoulder the blame. And I'd rather he took the blame than Prado Melendez win. I'd rather they were like, you know what? We're bonuses to this situation. Let's add on. Yeah. And, 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 where I was at with, with a bat is it's easier to blame someone who's playing every day than a Max Scherzer. So like, that's, I, I think it's the ideal situation. Like I know Starling Marte, you're going to pay him probably 60, 70 million over three years. You're not just paying him 60, 70 million to go out and play baseball. You're paying him to be the guy that gets the blame. You're paying him to go out there. Hey, you're going to be the one that fans boo when we're, 70 and 90 potentially like you, that's what's going to happen so go out there and wear it here's your check now go out there and get booed like if 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 all hell comes you know breaks loose and worse comes to worse you're gonna be the one that wears it that's what we're paying you for so anyway i do think that is something that is worth looking into but um we've been going on quite a bit here i want to get your thoughts on the postseason really quick i have the i had the red Sox, so i'm one for one I got the Dodgers beating the Cardinals tonight. I've got the Giants beating the Dodgers. I've got the Rays beating the Red Sox. I've got the Braves. I've got the White Sox. World Series, I've got the Rays over the Giants. What does your playoff bracket kind of look like here? Oh, I thought my way through to the World Series, and I said Rays over Dodgers. I thought they'd like some vengeance from last year. Um, so that means the Dodgers have to beat the Giants. I think Atlanta finally takes a series. I think they've been really hot in the second half. Jorge Soler deserves I why does he deserve a playoff series? I don't know, but I'm gonna say it. He deserves a playoff series win. Uh, and then so the Rays beat Boston in my scenario, and that leaves Yankees and who? White, not the not the, the Yankees, White Sox and the um the Astros. White Sox and the Astros. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the White Sox to to take that series. I'm gonna say hmm, the Rays are just a little too overconfident. The White Sox are a little too hungry, and then the White Sox get swept by the Rays. The the you know you get hungry and then you fall and then you get beat up. That's that's how life happens. I'm gonna stick with that. At, I was looking at our roundtable predictions today over at Royals Review. And I think all of us picked the Rays to win the World Series, or at least to be in it. I'm like, well, then that never happens. Like the team that everybody picks to win it never <laughs> wins it. So I was really rooting for the Rays, and I really truly believe this is going to be their year. And then I looked at everybody else saying the same thing. I was like, well, crap. Like that's not good. So it's kind of like <laughs> it's like the the classic screenshot of like Sunday Night Football of every analyst picks the Chiefs to beat the Bills. And then the Bills roll the Chiefs at Arrowhead, which is not going to happen. I'm just saying, like, that's the typical, like, thing that people put on Twitter, right? So, yeah. 
anyway, man, good, good conversation. Um, the season's wrapped up. So we're going to find some content here uh, for the podcast coming up. I'm thinking we're going to do a fantasy draft. So it's going to be me, you, Max, and then somebody else we can get on. We're going to draft an entire Royals team out of only Royals players um, in club history and fill out a whole, probably like a 25-man roster. So that's going to be fun to do later this offseason. My team will be awful. We're going to, we're going to, yeah, we're going to find something to fill the time. So if you're still listening to this point, I commend you. Thank you (laughs) for continuing to listen to Jeremy and I ramble. Um, Thank you again to our beat writers for joining us. Truly, I do believe we have, the best, one of the best trios of, of beat writers in all. Of I, I would, I would argue that while we all, while we do have the best trio of beat writers, I think we have Royals fans are blessed with an abundance of terrific Royals writing. I think Royals Review is one of the better baseball sites on SB Nation. I think Royals Farm Report does some great work over there. So I can say that because I'm not you and I don't write there. Everyone's going to give me the side eye over talk, talking up Royals Review, but I'll at least give the Royals Farm Report. And, you know, some of these other websites out there, uh, I'm struggling to think of their names right now, but there's a few others that are, you know, maybe not as good as some of these, but they're they're still better than than their sister sites or their brother sites. So uh, it's a great time. Even though the Royals are awful, it's a great time to be a Royals fan. Agreed. I, I subscribe. I know Clint Scholes does Royals Academy. He does a Patreon. David, I, I can never remember the names of – so David Lesky and Craig Brown – both do a newsletter. One of them yes. is into the fountains. One of them's inside the crown. I never. Les- Lesky is inside the crown. Are you sure? Yes. Because Craig is all about the, the into the fountains was his thing because he was expecting Jorge Soler to hit so many home runs into the fountains. Okay. And then it was Salvi that ended up doing it. Okay. So Craig does into the fountain, into the fountains. Lesky does inside the crown. Both fantastic. Oh, Terrific. Uh, they're free, by the way. So if you're listening to this, go follow Lesky on Twitter. Go find Craig Brown on Twitter. They both have these newsletters that are totally free. This summer, I'd wake up, and every single morning, there was two emails in my inbox, ITF and ITC, and they were both recapping the game. And while they're both obviously recapping the same game, neither of them were, were the same. And it yeah. was a very different take on the same game. Um, you're right. We do have a very good um, – just a whole blogosphere of, of Royals writers. So um, again, thanks to the beat writers for coming on, Jeremy, thank you for joining me and having your internet working tonight. <laughs> um, we'll be back. Maybe not next week. If we're, if we're, if we're back next week, great. If not, we'll be back again soon um, with some more Royals coverage as soon as they sign Starling Marte. So thanks for listening. We'll see you all again here very soon.